Well, it sure, sure is a, a pleasure to be with you. Um, we feel right at home here. I like your theme because we feel like we're ordinary people following Jesus, and we want to be like you, loving and growing and, and going in Jesus' name. We've had the privilege and the humbling privilege of, of living in Papua New Guinea, and we've got some helpers here. We're going to tell you something about Papua New Guinea. It's, it's good to have some young people holding the flag from Papua New Guinea because this flag was designed by a 13-year-old girl. Now, that was many years ago, probably 50 years ago, this flag was designed. There was a contest when the country became independent, and this was the flag that won the contest. A girl, a girl named Susan designed it. But the Lord had special plans for this flag. One of our Nazarene missionaries looked at this flag with the symbols and the colors, and guess what they saw? The symbols that represent the gospel, the story of Jesus, are in this flag. And the people of Papua New Guinea are thrilled when we use this to share the gospel. So I'm going to share the gospel with you using this flag in English. Now, we usually would do it in the hospital in pidgin, Melanesian pidgin, the language of Papua New Guinea. But I'll share it with you, and you can see how the people of PNG feel blessed that the story of Jesus is in their flag. The bird of paradise represents heaven because paradise is another word for heaven, and the color is gold, and the streets in heaven are made of gold. Now, God's in heaven, and no sin is in heaven. It's a perfect place. But there's a problem. We want to be able to live with him forever in heaven, but there's a barrier. And what do you think the black color on the flag represents? Sin. All have sinned. All get to even make him sin. Now come up sort, long glory belong God. That was what she would say in pigeon. So black represents the sin that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God didn't leave us without a way to be able to live with him in heaven. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and the stars form a cross. That's the southern cross. Do you want to hold it up a little bit higher? It's down low. Thank you. Um, the southern cross is a constellation that we see in the sky in Papua New Guinea. And the cross represents where Jesus died for us. The star that's down on the side represents where he was pierced in his side and his blood spilled out for us. So red on the flag reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us so that we could be free from sin and be cleansed. And if we are cleansed and if we ask Jesus into our lives, the color of our heart that is represented on the flag is white. And we can be like stars that shine and that are pure. Christians can be a light in the darkness, and then they would be ready to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. So that's the gospel that is in the flag of Papua New Guinea. And when uh, you think of Papua New Guinea, or if you would like to have a reminder of thinking of Papua New Guinea, here's some of the children and a missionary family that we know very well, our son 
and his family are now serving in Papua New Guinea. But you can ask us for a prayer card after the service, and we would share it with you. But you can pray for the children. And we use this in the hospital and in the markets to share the gospel. And you can pray that this would be effective and that people will come to know Jesus. Thank you, Allie and Brendan. Thank you, Kathy. That is painted on each ward of our hospital in Papua New Guinea. And uh, we also have it put on five by seven cards that we hand to the patients. We're glad to be with you today on your Faith Promise Sunday. And uh, we are thrilled to share with you what God is doing in that part of the world. Would you turn with me to John chapter 6? I'm going to be sharing some thoughts from John chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 15. This is my favorite story in the Bible because I identify with somebody in this story. And the title of today's sharing is A Boy and His Lunch. So this represents my lunch today. Let's look at John chapter 6. This miracle is told in all four Gospels, so it must be important. Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this story. Help us to be like the little boy today in giving to you so that you can bless it and break it and multiply it for others to know you as Savior and Lord. In your precious name, amen. This is a mission story. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is. There were five things I want to talk to you about this morning briefly. First, there was the problem. 
What was their problem that day? A lot of people that were hungry and not enough bread. There was a physical need to be met. That's true in medical missions today as well. The second thing I want us to focus on is the boy. I want us to identify with that boy. The third is the lunch. Now my lunch today actually has no bread and fish. There's prayer cards in here. But I'm putting it up here so you can think, what's in my lunch that I could give to Jesus? Our gifts, our abilities, our time, our treasures for the master. The fourth thing is the miracle. Everybody there that day ate as much as they wanted, and there was a lot of leftovers. The fifth thing, the blessing. The people believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at those things one at a time. There was a problem. The problem that day was a huge crowd and not enough food. It was estimated that about 200 days wages wouldn't buy enough food for everybody to have a bite. Now in the world, we have many spiritual and physical needs to be met. People are hungry around the world, not just for bread, but for a hope of a better life after death. They're hungry for Jesus worldwide. Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw those needs. May he help us today to lift up our eyes and see the needs of the world around us. It is estimated that three billion people still have not had the message of Christ. Three billion people today are unreached. And Jesus had a plan, it says in the scripture, verse 5. He's got a plan today to meet those needs. He's got a plan for helping them to hear about his plan of salvation. Why had those people followed Jesus? They had seen the miracles, especially the healing miracles. And today around the world, medical missions is able to reach some people who are not being reached because our church and missionaries preaching the gospel in some places can't get in. But they'll still let a medical missionary in to tell the story of Christ as he's healing. They had followed because they had seen the miracles and God is still working miracles around the world. Medical missions is still effective. In Papua New Guinea and other developing countries, there are still especially uh, prevalent medical needs that we don't usually think of here. In New Guinea this very month, there are still cases of polio, polio being, re being come back and even claiming lives because of a lack of vaccinations. Basic needs. Maternal mortality in New Guinea is one of the highest in the world. It's difficult to have a baby safely. People walk for great distances to get to medical care. I imagine most people here have medical care in Marysville, or if not, you go down to Columbus. But in Papua New Guinea, I've had patients walk for three days to get to your Nazarene hospital. A little girl named Sylvia came into our hospital one day. Three days before, she had fallen out in the jungle on her knife as she went to her garden to harvest. Her uncle saw her fall on her knife, saw that it had penetrated her abdominal wall, and began to carry her to medical help. He walked through the jungle for two days before he got to the nearest small clinic 
where a nurse was working and she looked at the wound in her little abdomen and she said, you've got to go another day's journey to reach the Nazarene hospital. That child needs surgery. They brought her into our emergency room. We prayed with Sylvia. We resuscitated her with IV fluids and antibiotics and then we took her to surgery and we were able to repair the injuries to her internal organs and she was there for a week in your hospital. On Sunday morning, we prayed thanking God that she was well enough to go home. She had survived that three-day journey, that severe injury. And when we finished praying, Sylvia's father was crying. And we said, sir, is there, is there something wrong? Can we help you? Are, are you afraid of something? Are you worried about something? He said, no, I just want to know that Jesus you're praying to. So we asked him if he wanted to become a Christian that day, and he said, I do. And we prayed with him for salvation that very day. As he carried his little girl out of the hospital, he said, I'm going back to start the Church of the Nazarene in our village. Three days walk into the bush, and all my family are going to attend. That happens because you give to missions, and you sent us and other missionaries, and you pray. God is meeting the problems of the world. Let's think about the boy for a minute. We don't know his name. He was probably poor. One commentator says that the barley bread was the bread of the poor people of that day. And he had the barley loaves and the fish. He was brought by Andrew to Jesus. Have you brought someone to Jesus recently? How did they know about this little boy and his lunch? I think the little boy volunteered. Maybe he heard them discussing the need. I walked uh, in a uh, Right for Life uh, walk yesterday for the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Mount Vernon, and the guy I walked with was a retired uh, school teacher. And I said, so what do you do now that you're retired? And he says, well, a couple days a week, I go to the prison and visit and pray with people. And I'm on the board for the homeless shelter. And I counsel with the men that come to the crisis pregnancy center with their uh, partners and uh, another one or two ministries. And I thought, this is a good way to use your retirement. He volunteered. The little boy volunteered. He was willing to give his lunch. Why do you think he was willing to give his lunch to Jesus? I think he saw in Jesus somebody he could trust. And I don't think he gave Jesus one loaf and one fish. I think he handed him the whole bag and said, Jesus, you can have it all. It's all for you today. Don't know how you're going to use it, but it's all for you. And I think of our lives and especially you young people here today, I'm so happy to see you here. It was at this age that I gave my lunch to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't know what you want me to be. Don't know where I'll go to school. Don't know who I'll marry. But my lunch is yours. You can have it. I will be yours. And he called me into medical missions. Are we like the little boy today? I think of a family in Papua New Guinea, who decided to be like the little boy. They trusted Jesus with their lunch. Gertrude is one of our women's ministry leaders. Gertrude had an elderly mother who had lived longer than anybody else in the village. 
She was in her mid-80s. Gertrude brought her mother to your hospital. She had an acute abdominal emergency. We knew she needed surgery. We prayed with Gertrude's mama. We said, does she know Jesus? She said, oh yes, she's ready for heaven. We took her to surgery. We found she had a ruptured gallbladder. It had gotten so infected that it had ruptured and spilled infection throughout her abdomen. We were very happy that God helped us to get her through surgery. We got the gallbladder removed, the infection cleaned up. But two or three days after surgery, she had a cardiac arrest, maybe from a heart attack or a blood clot. And despite CPR, we could not save Gertrude's mama. She went to be with the Lord. We prayed with that family as they were crying. They took her home. And then I didn't hear from Gertrude and her family for a couple weeks. One day I saw them back in the hospital and I said, Gertrude, we've been praying for you. How are you and your family in your grief? Now, Papua New Guinea is an animistic culture. Their native religion is the the, uh, religion of animism, believing that every part of life is controlled by evil and ancestral spirits. So when they grieve, they grieve very severely because they don't have the hope of heaven. And they want to make sure that everyone knows how sorry they are, including the ancestral spirit. Gertrude said, we decided not to grieve like the heathen. We decided not to have that type of grieving. We went home and set up a tent and we had a revival for two weeks. We praised God that mama's in heaven. And 40 some people in our village, including some of the worst sinners and the worst criminals, men that had been rapists and thieves, came to Jesus. I said, praise the Lord. I was telling my staff that in surgery the next day. I was operating on a young man, and the man who had brought him was sitting over in the corner. And as I told the story, this guy stood up and said, that's my grandmother you're talking about. And I'm one of those 40 that came to Jesus. And the revival continues because someone decided they could trust Jesus with their lunch. Let's look at the lunch. What was in his lunch? It wasn't a big lunch. It wasn't even as big as a supersized Happy Meal, probably. Five small loaves and two little fish. Was it enough to feed the 5,000? Nah, it wasn't, especially when you include women and children. But he gave it all. And there's an old hymn in the Nazarene hymnal called Little is Much When God is in It. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. I ask you today, what's in your lunch? What gifts God has given you? What training? What education? What abilities do you have? What talents? What treasures? What time do you have to give to Jesus? One of our first Nazarene pastors trained in Papua New Guinea was a pastor named Taimi. Taimi became a successful pastor and evangelist. He had a gift for spreading the gospel, both personally and from the pulpit. He became our first national district superintendent. And then he fell ill to peptic ulcer disease. I'm not sure if the pressure was too much in those positions or just what, but he had a series of five surgeries for peptic ulcer disease and complications. 
He almost didn't live through one of them. And we gathered around his bed there in the hospital and just pleaded with God to save his life. And God miraculously did. He said to me one day, you know, because of this illness, I don't think I should be out traveling and speaking. I would like to be the chaplain here at the hospital. And I said, that would be great. For the next 20 years, he was our hospital chaplain. And he would share the gospel in the, in the wards, both in public services and bed to bed. And in those 20 years, we saw 10,000 conversions to Christ. Because a man who had no formal education, just educated at our Bible college, gave his lunch to Jesus. Chaplain Tymey died a few years ago in our hospital of a heart attack. But his ministry lives on through his son, John, who is the head nurse of the surgery ward where my son, Ben, now works. Ben took over the surgical ministry when I left. And John, Chaplain Tymey's son, is his partner in that ministry the generational faithfulness of God as people give their lunch to him. Now the miracle. That miracle started in God's mind and heart. Verse 6 says Jesus knew what he was going to do all along. But it also had a human ingredient. God loves to involve and include us in his miracles. He included the boy. He included the disciples. He included the crowd. It required faith in Jesus and obedience in action. It began with prayer and thanksgiving. I would ask you today, have you seen any miracles in your family, your church, your community lately? Masa was one of my first patients. Masa came into the hospital one day. It was a Wednesday night. He had been stabbed during a tribal fight in the back. He was about as um, young as the boy that held up the flag for us this morning. He had no signs of life. He had bled internally severely. We put him on a trolley and ran him back to the operating room. We said a very quick prayer and opened his abdomen without actually putting him to sleep because he was almost dead. I put a cross clamp across his aorta as it comes out of the heart. We tried to find the source of the bleeder, but it was too difficult. And we stopped and had a prayer, and we said, Jesus, we're trusting the prayers of your people back home. Would you give us wisdom Help this boy to stay alive. It's not good to have a long prayer meeting when someone's bleeding to death. We opened our eyes and God immediately showed us where the bleeding was from. We had to take out his kidney, but God helped us to save Masa's life. For three days he was in a coma. And we said another prayer and said, God, would you wake him up and give him mental abilities back? We feared maybe it had brain damage. And God woke him up on the third day. And then what do you think we prayed for? A chance to share with Jesus with him. And God allowed us to do that. And he received Christ in his life. And then he started school at age 12. He went to school for a few years. Then he was in a bivocational Bible school. And then finally, and he began to be involved in youth work, became a lay pastor. And this past year, he finished the course of study and he was ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. And in the backside of New Guinea, at the end of the road, is a little bush church where Masa is the pastor. Because you gave, and you prayed, and you sent your missionaries. 
Masa, when he was ordained, the circuit pastor had given the wrong name to the district superintendent and the general superintendent put his hands on his head and ordained him as Moses. And Masa told me, he said, that was a miracle. God did that. It wasn't a mistake. I will be Moses and I will lead my people to the promised land for Jesus. Then there was the blessing. Everyone saw the miracle of multiplication. Everybody ate and was fed. Twelve baskets of leftovers. God gives in abundance. My son told me yesterday that some of the used medical supplies that I gathered at my little hospital I'm working at now in Coshocton, Ohio, they went through accreditation and they had to take everything off the shelves that was outdated, including medical instruments whose um, sterilization had run out. And we packed those up and sent them to New Guinea. And he said, Dad, the things you sent were exactly what we needed and had completely run out of. God gives in abundance. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The people believed in the power and authority of Christ. And in New Guinea, when they see the healing miracles, their lives are open to Jesus. I think that little boy must have been especially filled with joy as he saw what Jesus did. Joe came to our hospital. He had been chopped in the arm with a machete in a tribal fight. He had been chopped in both arms. His left arm, we spent several hours repairing muscles, bones, tendons, and nerves. And we put him in traction with, uh, after his surgery. The right arm we had to amputate because it was too far gone. Joe was a sinner. He was a heathen man. He was sitting in church in the, in the hospital on a Sunday morning, and it was the missionaries coming around to do a worship service in the ward. At the end of our service, we said, does anybody want to receive Jesus? We'll come to your bedside and pray for you. A lot of people immediately raised their hands, but Joe's thinking, I don't know which hand to raise. This one's really painful and all bandaged up, and this one's gone. And the picture I want you to take with you today as you give to Jesus what he wants you to give in faith promise is Joe sticking his stump up in the air saying, I want to receive Jesus. And we had the privilege of praying with him that morning for Jesus to save his heart and life, and God did because you gave. What's your problem today? Jesus has a plan. Let's be like the boy and trust God with our lunch, every bit of it. What's in your lunch? He will enable you to use it for his kingdom. One of my best friends in New Guinea was a retired plumber. Had hardly any training, almost no Bible college or theology training. But he said, God, I, I, I can help on the mission field. I know how to do plumbing and other construction. And he raised his own support, and he's there working because he wanted to give his lunch to Jesus. What miracle do you and your family need? It'll start with prayerful obedience. Are you ready to be blessed? Give your lunch to Christ. May the Lord bless you as you give to Jesus today.